Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the word-giving, insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now, on to today's message. All right, good to have you guys with us today. Again, um, rainy day, thanks for coming out for the kickoff of our new series in the book of Galatians. So if you're new with us today, um, or maybe you've been with us for many years now, uh, we love to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And one of the reasons is we want you to be able to read the Word of God, to read the Bible throughout the week, and actually understand um, what you're reading. It's stuff that makes sense to you, because if you were like me, when I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't know anything about the Bible. I thought Abraham was like Abraham Lincoln. When the guy was talk, seriously talking about it, it didn't click to halfway through the message one time. I was like, this is not Abraham Lincoln. And so we want to be able to share God's word with you. And um, today we're going to be in uh, Galatians 1. And we'll be going eight weeks through the book of Galatians, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And today I want to talk to you about how easy it is to follow a false gospel. How easy it is to follow a false gospel. One of my wife and I's favorite movies is Dumb and Dumber. Any Dumb and Dumber fans in the house? Right? All right, good. Good. Some of you are way too holy for that. Um, the, the church on the street would love you. Uh, so we, so we, I'm joking. I'm joking. Whoa. So, so that's one of our favorite movies. And one of the best parts of that movie is when they're, you know, driving to find uh, the, the woman they fall in love with. They're driving halfway across the country and they get in the dog car and they're driving overnight. And you realize that, that Lloyd wakes up and he, he says, I thought we were going to the Rocky Mountains. He says, I thought the Rocky Mountains would be a lot more rockier. That John Denver was just full of lies. If you thought, yeah, you, I'm editing that for church purposes. And, that's, yeah, that. and he wakes up and he realized they've been driving for 450 miles in the wrong direction. And had been confident about it. Well, the same thing happened to me in, in our band. I remember leaving Myrtle Beach one night. It was on a Sunday night. We had to work the next day. Our bass player was a young guy. He was 16, so he had to go to, to high school the next day. And um, so it was 1 o'clock in the morning. I was super tired, and so I take a nap, and our bass player is driving, and I wake up. I'm like, Adam, this doesn't look right. Do you know where we're at? He's like, yeah, yeah, we're headed home. Very confident about it. I'm like, bro, I, I, don't, I don't think I, so I pulled the map out. Young people, there's these things called maps that are paper, and I had to get a light. There were no cell phones, a flashlight, and, I, and we pulled over, and I looked, and I realized he'd been, he'd been driving an hour in the wrong direction at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, Oh no, I got to be able to work at six in the morning. And it was like, but he was so confident that we were going in the right direction. Do you know that sometimes in life that happens to us too? Not just with directions, if you're directionally challenged, but also there's times in our life we face that. Maybe it's a relationship you were really confident about, only to find out you were going in the wrong direction. Maybe it was an investment into something, only to find out you were going in the wrong direction. Maybe it was something you really believed in and were super confident in only to find out you were going in the wrong direction. Well, today we're going to look at a 2,000-year-old letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And this is the exact same thing that they were facing. They were very confident that they were doing things right and they were on the right path. And Paul wrote to them to let them know, hey, you're going in the wrong direction and you're confident about it. And that's scary. 
Now, what I want you to understand about Galatians is this. This is a, a book that is critical to the New Testament. To understand the New Testament, Galatians is critical. And here's the struggle of the New Testament. So if, if you can understand this, it unlocks the whole New Testament for you. So here's what happens. Follow me. This is all historical, which I love that the Bible is not just a book of faith and stuff. It's just it's a, a book of history too, which is beautiful. Was that when Jesus ascended into heaven after he, he, you know, he died and, and resurrected and he's on the earth 40 days, he was teaching and he ascended into heaven. Uh, in Jerusalem, the believers there saw a great revival take place. They taught salvation by Jesus. And so Jews began to get saved in Jerusalem. And they were loving this because Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. They were preaching Jewish Messiah to come. There are thousands of prophecies in the Old Testament. And they were really excited about it. They believed that they were it. And that Gentiles were kind of like, uh, you know what Gentiles are? is you and I. It's non-Jews. That's what that word means. So something happened where you know, Jesus had told them they'd be the light of the world. And they're like, light, light to the world? No, 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 no. We're, we're light to the Jews. Salvation is for the Jews. But something happened in the book of Acts. Where when Stephen got stoned, not, that wasn't marijuana. He actually got killed. He got martyred. Some of y'all are like, wow, man. The Bible's interesting. So like when, he got, when he got killed and martyred at the hands of a man named Saul, the Jewish believers began to spread. Now, until that point in the first century, Christianity was largely Jewish. Largely. I mean, I'm talking about 99.9% Jewish. And when they spread, something amazing happened. They began to go into other areas where non-Jews lived. And here's the craziest thing. The guy who killed Stephen and ordered his death and said, I want him to be killed, was a guy named Saul. Well, if you look in Acts 7, 8, and 9, you know, you kind of follow his journey, Acts 10, he gives his life to Jesus. And Saul becomes Paul. Well, for 14 years, Paul is studying the Old Testament. God's giving him revelation. He's growing. He's kind of hidden for 14 years. Now, you don't see that in the book of Acts. You just kind of read it like it's just one day after the other. And here's what... Really, here's what happens that, that has affected you and I today. Paul, who was one of the major Jewish rabbis, he was next in line to be the top guy, gives his life to Jesus, and watch this, and God gives him the ministry to the people who are not Jewish. So he goes, and this is Antioch, Acts 13. He goes, him and Barnabas, and they're holding the you know, revival you know, type stuff where, where non-believers are coming and giving their life to Jesus, which is great. But watch this, they're all non-Jews. So these non-Jews are believing upon the Jewish Messiah, and the Jews are confused. And this is where it all comes down to. This is very critically important. They were trying to figure out, what do these non-Jews need to do? Because... The key is this, they go on in Acts 14, and this is where you see Galatia, they minister, people in Galatia get saved, and they're non-Jews. And here's what was so critically important, the question of the New Testament, especially Paul's writings, is this, what must these non-Jewish believers do extra in order to be saved? And so their thing was this. Now, now realize that the, the Jewish community, if you remember Exodus, remember Moses? Like Charlton Heston movie, remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they were one million people that had been in slavery their whole life. They didn't know how to govern, govern. They didn't know how to teach. They didn't know how to do any judicial practices. They didn't even know where, okay, where's the best place to put our waste at? How do we deal with diseases? How do we eat the right foods? And so God gave the Israelites, his people, 613 laws to Moses. Remember Moses went to the mountain. It was like, whoa. 
and brought this 613 commands. That's where we get the Ten Commandments from. And so to the children of Israel, to the Jew, this was God's revelation to man. This was the central point to mankind. The law, the Mosaic law, the law to Moses was the center of their religion. That's literally how you were right with God, how you became right with God, how you made your peace with God. You followed that law. How you knew God's will and discerned what to do. You followed the law. You, I mean, you did what it told you to do. And now Paul comes in, who was the teacher of the law. This is key. He says, the non-Jews shouldn't have to be a part of the Jewish religion to be believers. Because here's what the Jews were saying. Jesus is good. He's the Messiah. But if you, being a non-Jew, say, I want to believe upon the Jewish Messiah Jesus, you also must become Jewish and obey the 613 commands because the law is central. The law is still how we're made complete. I mean, Jesus is good. And, you know, yeah, that's awesome, Messiah, but, but the law makes us righteous. Now, this Holy Spirit stuff is awesome. That's good, great. Spirit of God helped David in the Old Testament. We all know all that. But, but, but if you're going to follow God's will and know what God wants you to do, the 613 commands is the way you go. And so there's this big argument in the early church at Acts 14, 15, and I sent this out in our, in our campus news, where they're like literally saying, the Jews are angry, saying, no, they've got to obey the law, they've got to become Jewish, they've, and then Paul and his group are saying, no, they don't have to. Jesus, faith in Jesus makes them right with God, not the law. They're saying, so here's the struggle, have you ever had to abandon something that was held dearly by your family and by your culture. Think about that. For centuries, this is how the Jews had done it. And now these non-Jews start getting saved. They're saying, so now you're telling us that we have to abandon the law? Well, Jesus fulfilled it. Faith in him alone makes you right with God. Not only that, you don't look at laws to figure out how to be right with God and how to please God. And how, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of you as a believer. And they were seeing miracles and seeing God work among the, the non-Jews. They were like, we can't deny this. So in Acts 15, and, and the Galatians is written shortly after this. They all get together. Peter, James, and John. All the, you know, the, the 12 disciples. Remember those guys are now the apostles. They had this huge meeting called the Jerusalem Council. And this is the key to the New Testament. They had this huge meeting. They say, now what must the Gentiles do to be saved? Which is you and I, right? We're, we're non-Jews. And they come to terms to say this. They must not commit sexual immorality. They must not eat uh, animals that are strangled you know, and, and drink their blood and do all that nasty stuff. And they also must not offer sacrifices to idols and eat things offered to them. If, if they do those three things, I think that's, that's enough law for them. And they come to this decision. But realize at that point, these churches have been planted. Especially Galatia, which we're going to read. And Paul had planted them. He saw these people come to know, you know, faith in Jesus. And here's the thing. Some of those people in those churches would not let it go. They were teaching non-Jews, saying, oh, hey, um, you're non-Jewish, right? Here's the thing. That Paul guy, don't believe him. You need to have the law as well to be made right with God. You, faith in Jesus alone does not save you. The Mosaic law all, makes you right with God. And so in these churches, there's, there were these teachers rising up teaching this. And people were believing it. So these non-Jews were like, okay. And here's what they were saying. They said, Paul got this teaching from the guys in Jerusalem when they met for this big council. Paul is sent by Peter, James, and John. He's sent by corporate. <laughs> He's been indoctrinated by corporate. He's not sent by God. 
He's not called by God. He is regurgitating a man-made lie by saying you're made right with Jesus by faith alone. It's the Mosaic law. It's not the spirit. It's not that. And so when you read Galatians now, it's going to make a lot more sense to you. Because this is the, new, this is the, this is the struggle of the New Testament and what they face. So let's go ahead and jump in here in Galatians 1. And let's look at this here. Paul, who writes this letter to a church that he planted, and I want you to see the tone of this letter. It's not a sweet, you know, tone. It's one of hurt. It's one of anger because of what's happening to these people. He says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. And watch what he opens up with here. No other letter does he say this. He says, I was not appointed by any group of people. Because why? They were saying he was appointed by you know, Peter, James, and John, and those guys. Or any human authority. But by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, some people have said, well, Paul was mighty arrogant in his first letter. He just said, I'm this. No, you know what? Paul wasn't arrogant. Paul was getting to the point. I wasn't sent by man. I wasn't sent by them. God showed me this. I am sent by God alone. Paul wanted to lay that out first. He says, all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and amen. Now here's where it gets into it. This is the crux. Look at verse 6. He says, I'm shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news. What's the different way? Accepting the Mosaic law to save you and not Jesus alone. So he says, you're turning away from Jesus. Watch this here. And he goes on to say, this is not the good news at all, verse 7. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. And we just talked about what that truth is uh, that they're twisting. Verse 8 says, let God's curse fall on anyone. And that's strong language. That's, that's, that's not cussing. That's not stubbing your toe and saying a bad word. That's saying God's curse fall on you. That's the roughest thing you could do in, in Hebrew culture was pronouncing a curse on somebody. And that's how angry Paul was. That's like a new level there. He says, including us, and watch this, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news, or gospel is the same word there, than, any, than the one that we preach to you. So he's saying that if an angel shows up, if you say an angel showed up last night and gave me this new gospel, Paul says, let you and the angel be accursed. That's strong. Did you sense Paul's tone in this letter? That it's one of like, man, complete anger that they've been duped. They're going in the wrong direction. And look at this in verse 9. Now I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Now this letter, here's the thing. When the church gathered together, the pastor, the elders, they would read this letter to the whole congregation in one sitting. So those false teachers sitting there, that was strong language. They had to sit there and swallow it. Sit there and like be a, be a curse. And then again, if anybody preached, let them be accursed. Because here's the reason Paul was so upset. They were turning away from the gospel. They had kind of a quasi-gospel. Kind, of kind of somewhat of the gospel. Kind of somewhat, well, yeah, yeah, this, is, this is the gospel and... 
Because the Jews believe, again, the law was central. It was God's revelation to man. And it's the way you knew God, the way you were made right with God. And they had to abandon that. And some of them were unwilling to do it. Now, now today, I want you to realize something. That the true gospel is built upon two truths. The true gospel is built upon two truths. And write this in your note for our bigger idea today. Two truths. Jesus is central and the Holy Spirit is essential. Jesus is central and the Holy Spirit is essential. Now look at their, their context. They were saying Jesus was not central, the law was. Messiah come alongside of the law, right? So Jesus wasn't central to them. And the Holy Spirit wasn't essential, the law was, to guide them. Now, I know today that we're not struggling with obeying the Jewish law, right? You're like, look, Kev, I, I, you know, I'm good. I'm not obeying the 613 commands. I'm not doing all that stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. But, you know, we face the same thing. And many of us fall prey to following a false gospel. And here's what happens. To many people who claim to be Christ followers, they're trusting more in their good works to get them to heaven than they are Faith alone saves you. It's Jesus plus nothing. What did you bring to the table for your salvation? Belief. And many of us are, are, you know, if, 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 if I sat you down and somebody put a gun to your head and said, now tell me if you die right now, what would you say to Jesus when you got to heaven? You'd be like, I've been a good person. <laughs> That's what we would do. See, see, fake Christians trust in their own morality by their own standards. Well, I believe good people get to heaven. Oh, really? Who, what's the standard of good? Well, Hitler's bad, Jeffrey Dahmer and Hitler. I believe all good people get out. Who determines what's good? By what standard? See, you begin to make your own moral standards of who can get into heaven. See, a, a true Christ follower says, we're all sinners and imperfect. We can never reach the mark and there's no way we can get there. There's no way. My good works, uh, they don't add anything to my salvation. They're actually a product of me actually knowing Jesus. And here's the other thing. A, a fake Christian, this is something Timothy Keller coined, I, I like that term, is that the Holy Spirit's not essential to their life. Holy Spirit's like that, that you know, most people's trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit's like that cousin you don't want to talk about at the party, right? Because everybody has that person went to a church that they were crazy, and they're like, I don't want to be crazy. So, 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 so we don't allow the Spirit of God to influence our life. See, a true Christ follower allows the Spirit of God to influence every decision, every action, and they're always dependent upon the Holy Spirit with everything that happens. They realize that if anything good is done, the Holy Spirit produced it. That's what a true Christ follower does. And there are many of us who have bought into a false gospel. You know, I've known Jesus since March 1st, 1999, which is like almost, what, 19 years it's a long time. And I gave my life to Jesus and I was saved. And if I died, I'd go to heaven. But you know what? I did not understand the gospel until like 2010. It's like 11 years before I actually understood the gospel. And here's the thing. For me, I was always in jeopardy of like my salvation. If, I, if somebody cut me off and I said a bad word, it's like, oh no, oh no, no, no. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Forgive me, because I, you know, if, if the rapture comes, my, my, my clothes won't be folded neatly in the corner. I'll be left alone, you know, but I'll be left behind. I was so scared. And so my works were trying to earn me salvation. That 
that was what I was trying to do. That was my mosaic law that I wouldn't abandon. And so I lived in jeopardy. It's like my relationship with God, if I had a good week, man, I was like praying and yeah, God. God's going to answer some prayers. I've been a good guy this week, man. And I didn't understand that the only reason I can approach God is because of the blood of Jesus. Not because of my works. Now, I knew that, but I didn't live that. I was in jeopardy every week. Well, me, I'm far from God, close to God. It's like, you know, it's like Sesame Street. Near, far, near, far. <laughs> and when you read the New Testament, there's not like a level of Christians. It's like, this is varsity Christian who's close to God. Junior varsity, get your works right and you can get closer. You're as close to God as you ever will be. God doesn't move and just kind of slide over like, hey, 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 look, you stand over there and get your attitude right, and then we'll talk. So you've been made right with God by faith in Jesus. And I didn't understand that. I started listening to you know, Dr. Dr. Keller, and man, that was awesome. I started, this is the gospel. I understood what justification meant. And I realized that, you know, man, the works that I did or didn't do didn't secure my relationship with God. And I then begin to realize that any works that I do that are good weren't produced by me. It was the Holy Spirit inside of me doing it because I couldn't do it. Even sermons that I preach. It's like, it's a good sermon. <laughs> Listen, man, the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm back there in the back during worship just praying, God, please. And so many times we fall into the same categories of our salvation. We don't really understand the gospel. We're Americanized. It's like what Islam is to the Middle East, Christianity is to America. Mama went, granddaddy went, grandmama went, we always go to church. But we don't really understand what the true gospel is. And here's why that's critically important. If we don't understand that, you'll live in jeopardy of your salvation. You'll just kind of be like, well, I'm near, I'm far. You'll be roller coaster, and you won't have the joy that is afforded to believers because you've been made right with God. That's what, that's why we lift hands. Why are they lifting our hands? Because they know they've been made right with God and they brought nothing to the table and them and their creator are at one in fellowship because of Jesus. It brings such joy to my life. That, man, that's, I'm glad I, I was brought back to the gospel and it became real to me. Maybe you know all this. Maybe you're, you are the varsity Christian in this. But I believe there's people here today that you, you, if you, if you looked at it, you'd say, you know what? I think sometimes I do follow a false gospel. Not a big one, but one based on works and based on myself. And here's what I want to do today quickly. I want us to, to look, and we're going to jump in and look at this. How do we identify a false gospel? And before I jump into those two points, Paul said this again to Romans 3.21. I want you to hear what Paul said to the church at Rome. It sounds like the same book. Romans and Galatians. If you understand the question that I posed earlier, you understand the New Testament. Watch what he said to the Jews in Rome. He said in Romans 3.21, but now God... God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. That's huge to Jews. Jews are like, what? As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. He was telling them whether you're a Jew or whether you're a non-Jew called a Gentile, we are made right by that. So how do we identify a false gospel? Here's the first thing you write in your notes is this. How do we identify it? Number one is this. It is Jesus plus their requirements to be saved. 
Jesus plus their requirements. Now, you do have some, some, some people who knock at the doors and they prey on Christians who don't know the gospel. And they have, they, have, they have these little pamphlets they pass out. And here's what they're telling you. Oh, that's good. You got faith in Jesus. That's really cute. But you don't. You need what we have as well. You're not fully saved unless you're adopted into our belief. Jehovah's Witnesses are key for that. Oh, no, no, no. You got junior salvation. You've really not entered into. And, you know, I talked to a Mormon one time, and they were trying to talk about the, the LDS and temple rites and ceremony stuff. And I said, Oh, I said, So let me ask you a question. Because Paul actually brings this up in Galatians. He said, I said, What more can that add to me that Jesus has not given me if, he, if it's by faith in him? And the girl stopped and said, You know what? I never thought of that. So, so if I get that, I'm fully saved. I'm kind of halfway saved now. See, any false religion, any false gospel is Jesus plus their requirements to be saved. See, legalism isn't rules. Let me just say that. You know, we think, remember legalism? And in church, when I grew up, you didn't wear shorts to church, did you? God forbid our leg is so ugly, make God mad and he'll send us to hell. <laughs> I guess that's why. I don't know why you can wear shorts to church, right? <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, women couldn't do this. Men couldn't do that. And, 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 you know, now here's where legalism, legalism is not just rules. Legalism is this. If you don't follow those rules, you go to hell. Man-made rules. It's Jesus plus their requirements, right? So think about, is it Jesus alone that saves or is there requirements that these people are giving me? Or maybe you're giving yourself to be saved, that you have to do this certain thing or do this or do that. So it's Jesus plus their requirements. Um, you also could be trusted in your own goodness to save you because, again, as I said before, you are comparing yourself to your own standards. Compare yourself to God's standards. It doesn't go well. That's why we need Jesus. Here's the, the second point. How do you identify a false gospel? Dependence upon the Holy Spirit is not needed. A false gospel will tell you the Holy Spirit is an active force, not the third person of the Trinity. You read John 14, 15 to 16, Jesus gives a great discourse on who the Holy Spirit is. Not what, but who. And, and a false gospel takes the equation of God's Spirit out of it. You know, that that's the thing that, that confounds Islam. They cannot understand Christianity. Here's why. We don't have a law. If you don't have a law, how do you follow God? What's this Holy Spirit stuff? It's weird. I mean, you, know, you need law to follow God. And so, false religions will dumb the Holy Spirit down to an active force or say, oh, it was an angel. It's not, he's not real. Because you need the Spirit of God daily and second by second to guide you, to lead you, to empower you. And that's what Christianity is. The Holy Spirit's not some weird thing you do. And, you know, it's just, you know, I, I, we've, I've seen the crazy stuff too, right? I've seen the crazy. But it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not real. As a follower of Jesus, it's when every day you are so dependent upon the Spirit of God to help, strengthen, empower. And a false religion will give you law, but not give you the Spirit to lead and guide you. That's who does the good works through you. That's how sanctification happens, the setting apart. It's not because you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you just get really good. I'm almost going to stop all this and do it. The Holy Spirit does it in you. That's who does it. And in false religions or a false gospel, the Holy Spirit is not essential. So what must we do? And I close with this. What must we do? This is the true and honest response of a Christ follower. Here's what we must do. Number one, give thanks daily that you could not and did not save yourself. 
every day pause, get on your knees and say, God, I could not have done it. I didn't do it. You did for me what I could not do it myself. And man, I am so stinking grateful. God, you are awesome. That's where worship comes from. Worship doesn't come because they're playing the song that you like. Worship doesn't come because you feel good that day. You can, if you're a Christ follower, you can approach God any second of the day. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can enter the most holy of holies. That's good news. That once we were separated, dead in sin and trespasses, and because of Jesus, now we can do that. I, that's what gets me excited. And that's where true worship comes from. Amen? Amen. Here's the second truth right here. So give thanks daily that you could not and did not save yourself, man. The second one is moment by moment, verbally rely upon the Holy Spirit for guidance and power. That you give the Holy Spirit permission in your life to speak to you, to convict you when you're in an argument with your spouse. This is where rubber meets the road, baby. You pause and say, Holy Spirit, show me where I'm an idiot at. I do that. Show me how I need to repent for my wife for treating her this way. I need you to even do that. And if you adopt these two, it seems so simple, right? It seems so simple. So simple you could miss it. Matter of fact, in the 1990s, there was a cake mix that came out. And the cake mix said, just, just add water. And it flopped. And they couldn't figure out why people weren't buying this cake mix. Like, why? And they did some research and they found out people thought it was way too simple. So they added to it, add one egg. And it took off because it was just way too simple. And friends, the scary thing is, I think we complicate the gospel. We complicate Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And you have, the, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've turned to Jesus, if you've given him your life, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. People say, well, the Spirit of God sure was in church today. He's in church every week. He's in you every day. He's in you all the time. He doesn't take weeks off. He's always there. You don't have to feel like, I didn't feel God today. God was, a, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. That's not God's fault. That's your fault. Because <laughs> he's always there. I, I, I believe there's three groups of people in here today. Number one, there's one group that you're still trying to save yourself. Jesus is the cultural belief of America and mama and daddy and grandma and, you know, apple pie. Red, white, and blue, and Jesus died for you. That's, you, you you're a cultural Christian. Cultural Christian. It's Jesus plus your goodness and what you're doing is going to get you to heaven. You would never tell anybody that, but if you were like me, you lived that out. Maybe your relationship is always dependent upon with God how, how good or bad you are. Maybe today's the first day you actually realize that when you confess Jesus as Lord, you are made right with God. There's no more, you are right as rain, as they say in the South. Amen. You can never be any more right with God than you are than when you give your life to Jesus. I believe there's believers in here today that you live in roller coaster Christianity. Near or far, near or far, near or far. Either you're justified or you're not. There's two types of people in the world. Either you're redeemed or you're not. And you're basing your access to God, your worship to Jesus, on how good your week has been. What you did good or what you did bad. 
I hope today you crucify this roller coaster Christianity and you know that you have access to the Creator 24 7, not because of your work, but because of the finished work of Jesus. And finally, I believe there's a group in here that says, you know what, this is good and great, but man, you have not been actively dependent upon the Holy Spirit. You have not given the Holy Spirit permission in areas of your life that you know you need to give Him permission. Attitudes, anger, words. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Addiction. And I hope today that when you read Galatians and look at how they had fallen prey into a false gospel, we can too. It's so easy for us who are in church every week to let the elements of a false gospel hurt us as well. I want to pray for you guys today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to a church who were being duped. We want to pause right now today, God, and say thank you for making us right with you, Father, through your son Jesus. That today we are because of Jesus, when we have surrendered and confessed to you that you're our Lord, that, that we are made right. So today, we want to pause and say thank you for that. Thank you for that. God, I pray for those who have not given their life to you, Father, that are still holding it in their hands, or still basing salvation on, on what they can do and what they have done. I pray that they would fully turn to you today to be made right with you by Jesus, by faith in Jesus. And Father, I ask today that there are, there are believers in here that it's time to be reliant upon the Holy Spirit every day, all day. That they would give permission to the Holy Spirit, God, to change what they cannot change, to produce what they cannot produce. That they would literally fall to their knees and surrender, saying, God, do in me what I cannot do in myself. God, I ask that you would protect all of us in here from following, whether it be a cult or whether it be just, Lord God, a, a, our own false gospel we begin to live out in our lives. May we, Lord, be thankful daily for what you've done and be reliant upon your spirit and nothing else 100% for you to do in us what we can't do of ourselves. As we're praying here today, church, I believe God's working on some hearts and I believe right now there's some of you in here that you, you won't be made right with God. You want to know that you're in fellowship with your creator. And here's what I'm going to ask you today. If you want to make Jesus your Lord, if you want to have a fresh start today with him, it's simple. I'm going to count to three and you'll lift your hand. And what we're going to do is we're going to make a confession of faith together. And we're going to pray together. Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, 10, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved, redeemed, made right with your creator. On the count of three, if that's you, just lift your hand up. One, two, three. Today's my day. Amen. 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 Today's my day. Amen. I see those hands. Beautiful, beautiful. Right where you're, you're sitting, I want you to pray this same prayer I prayed 19 years ago. It's a confession of faith. And you say, Father God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself with good works. But I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He died on the cross. 
I believe he rose again from the dead. And I believe he sits at your right hand, God. Today, I make Jesus my Lord. I turn from my sins and I turn to Jesus. Today, I know I'm made right with you, God, because of Jesus alone. And I place my faith in him. And it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Put your hands together, church. Man, people made that decision today.